This is Making Movies is Hard, a podcast about the everyday struggle of being an independent filmmaker. I'm Oliver Purcell. And I'm Timothy Plain. Each week we discuss a different filmmaking topic and give you our point of view, not as experts, but as up-and-coming filmmakers still trying to figure it all out. So today is episode 20. Uh, I don't think we'd ever thought we would get here, maybe, but uh, we're here. <laughs> I didn't. Um, and we're doing something very special. We are having a guest on the show. Uh, Andrew Schrader is with us. Uh, say hello, Andrew. Oh, hello. Thanks for having me. Yeah. Thanks for being here, man. This is, uh, really exciting. Uh, just to give a little bit of background, I met Andrew last summer at a film festival in San Jose at a screening for his, uh, film Age of Reason. And, um, I was like trying, I was like thinking I was going to leave before this movie started. And then the first like 20 seconds of it played and it was so awesome. I just sat in my seat and I didn't move. And then it just kept on being awesome. So I just, you know, watched the whole movie and loved it. And then I actually just ran into Andrew after the screening and we just started to chat a little bit and yeah, we became, became friends and started having coffee and just throwing ideas out at each other. And, you know, me mostly getting feedback from him and it's been awesome. So I'm so glad that you're here today with us. Um, so do you want to just tell everybody a little bit about yourself and your own words and your filmmaking journey? Sure. Yeah. Thanks. Um, so I'm a screenwriter, indie filmmaker like yourselves. Um, let's see, I've had, I've written a bunch of scripts, maybe like nine or 10 at this point. We've had two produced, um, one being the age of reason, which you saw, which I remember that screening and you had on your really cool, uh, strange thing shirt. It was right. like the best. I love that. I want it for like a poster. Yeah, yeah. It was because uh, I had my screening earlier that day and I was just like glued into that theater just watching everything. So yeah, it was fun. Yeah, that was that was, that was was a fun screening. Um, so yeah, I mean, that's basically it. I mean, I spend a lot of my time pushing different projects. So I do a lot of writing with my partner, Jordan uh, Harris, who lives down in LA. Um, and I do a lot of little projects. Um, right now I'm actually going to be, I'm not going to be editing this documentary, which is nice, but some uh, documentary footage that I shot last year um, about uh, homeless encampments down in Berkeley uh, is actually going to play next month in a festival. So that's cool. So I get to supervise the editing on that um, and do a lot of smaller projects, um, a lot of writing. So I'll have a book out next year. And um, that's kind of what I've been doing a lot of um, uh, after finishing up The Age of Reason. So you you write and yeah I've been working with Jordan um, for about ten years we met in college and we've really taken a lot of time to write um, we we ran this a screenwriting co op um, in Santa Barbara so we basically we'd bring in a lot of uh, real big Hollywood screenwriters like we got some really cool people to kind of mentor us and that's that's kind of how we got started and then once we graduated college we we're trying to figure out what to do with our lives and we decided just to make a movie. So we raised about 20 grand and we made our first movie. It's called Fever Night and just started from there. So, but yeah, I'm primarily a writer. I'm a writer first. So, and my day job is copywriting. Okay. And then Jordan, Jordan's kind of like your co-writer and co-director. Like you guys are a team and you've done both of yeah, your movies both, together. Both features and then a number of smaller projects. And he, he's actually, he's a TV editor down in LA. So, you guys aren't full-time filmmakers. You guys have day jobs also. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Why do you say it like that? Um, oh, yeah. Well, it's just so hard. I mean... Because I guess from our perspective is, oh, 
you make a feature and that's it. Like you're off to the races. Like all you have to worry about is how you make your next one. Like people don't go back to their regular jobs after that. Well, that's how I thought. Um, we, <laughs> that's how a lot of people think. Yeah. You know, and it's, it's not like a bad way to think. I'm, I'm really grateful. I thought that way because that's what got me through making the first two movies. Um, you know, after we made the first one, all I could think about was to make a second one right away. And I, we spent, you know, I think four or five years straight, basically just making stuff, making our first two movies, which was awesome. But, you know, you go broke and, <laughs> yeah. you know, and I got married and that doesn't really, you know, it, it's, it causes a lot of tension. <laughs> so, um, basically when we were finished making the age of reason real quick, uh, just cause it's on the, the mind, um, you know, I kind of got burned out. I got really burned out and, I had to basically take a year of not not writing at all. I needed a break and I needed to figure out a way to, you know, do this sustainably, for lack of a better word. Mm -hmm. Because we had spent so much time making movies and not really paying attention to any kind of career, you know, like our friends were busy, you know, having full-time jobs from college. So they could, uh, they made a pretty good living. And for me, it was like, you know, I just didn't because I put everything I had into making movies. And... By the end of our second movie, all of my resources were completely, you know, gone. And where are you now with things? What's what's next and what's holding you back? We were hired to adapt a book made a couple years ago. Um, that's still trying to get off the ground. We've been writing spec scripts and we've done a lot of, basically the last two and a half years has been a lot of trying to get projects off the ground by letting other people do it for us, mm -hmm. if that makes sense. So we'll have producers or somebody saying, we want to do this, we want to do that. And they'll hire us or bring us on in some capacity to get things moving and we'll try to get them moving. But it hasn't really panned out. So we've decided to, we're, we're just, we're going to have to do it on our own again. But it's uh, been this sort of like slow build, like I said, to kind of balance uh, the film life and the, the personal life. And it's really ramped up the last year. Last year has been crazy. And I don't even know, I'm doing so many different things right now. It's it's hard to just focus on one. <laughs> yeah. Right. But one thing that's holding us back, or not holding us back, but one, one big challenge is picking the right movie. Right. Is really picking the, the single idea um, that's going to basically sustain you for two, three, four years. Creatively sustain or financially sustain? Creatively. Mm -hmm. Right. Because you have like nine scripts you said that you've written, right? So like trying to pick between those, is that what it is? Or is it just like you have other ideas that you haven't even written yet that you want to write? Like what, what is the problem exactly? Well, there's so many limitations uh, for me in terms of what we can do on, on a small budget. Uh, Financing's a little tough, obviously, as it is for everybody. But we're, we, what we've been really working towards as writers is trying to, find, trying to make an idea, trying to get a, as cohesive an idea as we can that makes sense for the style we shoot it in, which makes sense um, that will like, sustain a project creatively for so long. Um, that was one thing that our first two movies really had. We had a very clear idea of what we wanted to do. And um, I've been, I don't know how else to put this, but changing a lot as a person the last three or four years. And um, what used to interest me doesn't interest me anymore. Um, and so if I'm going to put all my resources into something, you know, making movies is really a lifestyle. It's really... You know, you think, you get this idea, like, you're going to make one movie and then you're going to be set and you're going to make movies forever. Yep. Um, but I just don't think it works that way. 
for me, um, in terms of like the way we, we, way we view media and, um, I just don't, I just kind of don't see that as a, as a reality for me at this well, point. So. Okay. Well, why that's interesting. Cause Alric and I have talked a lot about kind of what the reality is for most filmmakers. And there is like, of course, we always say the Quentin Tarantino's of the world that they do find a very successful career in film based off of their first movie. But for the rest of us, I mean, you have two features under your belt at this point. We have zero. So we're kind of just right now imagining what, what our life's going to be like. So what do you think is realistic for most people? How, is it having a day job and pursuing film outside of it? I don't know it's realistic, but I, I do feel like that if I make a movie, if I'm able to make a movie that I've won, like if I can just like support myself to make a movie, then then that's that's the dream, you know? So just to do that again is like the dream, if that makes yeah, sense. Yeah, how do you because, do that? How do you, do, yeah. how do you create the trajectory? Because I guess I we're talking about like our first movie. Does your first movie have to like make money or be creatively interested? Like how do you get people interested in helping you make the second movie from your first movie? Ooh. I I don't know. Um, <laughs> Damn it! I, I don't know. No. I think. I, wait, uh, well, wait. A make uh, an episode of making movies is hard that doesn't have answers. What? Oh man, it's like every episode. <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't know what you should be focused on, except you should focus. I mean, I think you should just focus on again an idea that will sustain you creatively. Because I don't think it's necessarily. A, I think you should think about what people like. But I don't think you should base everything you do around what's going to be the most popular idea. Mm. Well, because you're also you're be... making a movie for audiences two years down the road. So how are you ever going to target what people are going to want in two years from now? Well, that's a good point. I hadn't really even thought about that, but that's a great point. Yeah. I just think that if you're going to make a movie that really stands out, it's got to come from you because only you... I know it sounds cheesy, but like only you can make a certain kind of movie. Mm-hmm. And only I can make a certain kind of movie. I know that whatever people have to say, good or bad, about Fever Night or The Age of Reason, I only Jordan and I could have made those right. movies. You know, I think there's a really good opportunity to make like real statements or to make something that's actually very different. And I think people should go for that. Right. And that's really the best advice I have. Well, and so you don't think about like if it's going to sell well or do well with distributors or any of those things when you're making a movie, like that's not part of your, your mindset at all. It hasn't been the first, I will say that our first movie fever night, it's a, it's an, it's an acid horror movie. It's not even a horror movie. It's the anti horror movie. It's super hard to classify (laughs) and people hate it, Mm. but we, (laughs) it depends who you talk to. Bloggers love it. People hate it. And I, I strongly think it was because of the way the distributor marketed, marketed it. Mm. But, um, Mm. not saying it's like a perfect movie, but I do think it's because of that. But I, I really did think that I was very naive and I really thought that that movie was going to like blow the minds off of horror fans or something because you, it made you so uncomfortable and you never knew whether to laugh with it or at it. And I really, yeah. we really thought we were making this like super cool, abrasive rock and roll horror psychedelic movie. And like, we got distribution. It was in Walmart. People hated it. Oh, wow. That's interesting. <laughs> like, I just think, isn't I, that, don't you kind of have to have like that delusion though, that what you're about to do is going to be great. I mean, going along with like, what is that idea mm-hmm. that is going to sustain you creatively for years and 
I think part of it is just that delusion that it is going to be so different and so fresh and so new that it's going to blow people's minds. Oh, I agree. Yeah. 100%. The other thing I was thinking about while you're talking, telling your story is just that like everyone tells you if you're going to make your first feature that it's like really important that your first feature is like, like really, really good because everyone judges you on your first feature. And then they also say like, if your first feature, first feature doesn't make money, your career is over. But it seems like both of those things didn't, isn't, aren't true for you. Like you just made your movie, you learned from it, and then you made another movie, you learned from that, and now you're going to make more movies, you know, that you're just growing with each film that you make. And that, I like that idea way more than this idea of like, yo, you got to be really careful in what movie is your first movie, or you're going to, you know. But don't you think that's kind of based off of an old model where people were investing a lot of money into filmmakers? Like if somebody's investing millions of dollars into you, and then you completely lose it all that's you know it's a huge investment but i I think nowadays like i mean if especially if you're spending your own money who cares if your movie makes money but if you go onto a slate where they're making these micro budget films and they're putting in a few million dollars across like five films that's it's a you know it's a different payoff for them i mean i just see this room of like all these suits behind a desk who are like looking over your budget and being like oh you (laughs) lost money (laughs) screw you you know but i mean andrew can you speak to that at all like what what, i mean what do you think well i never been i mean the truth is is for like the the movies that like i work in that my partner and our producer phil work in the budgets are like very small and I don't see the the suits so much. I mean, I think I think what you're saying is true for like people who go into like Hollywood or something. Mm. But for me, I mean, but people are never going to know if your movie made money or or not really. Like they'll know a little bit. Like they'll know if you got a deal, um, but they're not going to like know the figures because nobody knows the figure. Just the distributor really knows, right? Um, but I know what you're saying, and I do think it's like a valid. It's it's a concern, but I still don't think. I mean, I don't think you should let it keep that. That'll like keep if I that that could keep you like chained for forever. Right, you gotta just <laughs> and, let and loose and right. just do it. Right. Yeah, I think your first feature is just figuring stuff out. Like I watched Brian De Palma's first feature, and that movie is crazy and really weird. But that that was my standard of what I judged Fever Night by. It was like, okay, Brian De Palma made this, and then he made a bunch of crap. And then he made like Carrie or Sisters. Right, right. So it's like, dude, your first few movies are probably going to suck. And, you know, you just keep going. Dude, not my first movies. <laughs> my first movies. Oh, are I don't mean yours. Awesome. Uh, I don't mean yours. I mean like talking to myself <laughs> right. when I was talking to myself. Like, Andrew, you're. No, I actually agree with you. I, I think that there is something to be sad about. You need to make a few bad movies before you yeah. can make something good. So. Over the past few weeks, um, you know, I've, I've talked about this in the, the past few episodes that I have the screenplay for uh, Haunted Toy House finished. We had a producer attached, but I'm starting to get the feeling that she's not that interested Ooh. anymore. She's kind of giving me the cold shoulder. So I'm kind of stuck here because I thought that I was pretty clear in what my path was with the screenplay. It's like, all right, I already have a producer attached. I'm going to finish the screenplay and I'm going to give it to her and she'll tell me what I need to do. But now that I don't have a producer, I'm kind of stuck. I have the screenplay that I want to produce, 
but I don't know what to do next. I've, I've been in talks with a few producers on projects and just they've all seemed to have fall, fallen apart in front of me. So I'm wondering if it's me. Well, the same things happen with us. It was, it's a little different scenario, but basically the same same thing has happened to us a few different times. Um, the problem is that we weren't driving it. It is the way I see it. Is that we weren't we weren't driving the project. So as much as it's like I don't really have any great advice, but I do know that like once you go hands off, it tends not to happen. So if there's a way that you can be pushing, like if you lead. People will like kind of follow you. I've noticed that happen. That tends to happen. Yeah, that makes sense to me. But what? How does a director or a writer drive a project? Because in my head, it's like, oh, a producer drives a project. I need to get a producer interested. Is that like? Is that how I drive it? Find a producer and get them excited. Well, you're the producer, is what I'm saying. Okay. So I have to put on a producer right. hat. Yes. And then if you need the people to join you, it's like, I think the passion is really where it comes from, right? Because if you're super passionate about it and, and die hard and you're never going to let it go, you'll never stop until you find that right producer who will get you the money or find that right partner to join the project, you know? But if you're, you know, sort of like in the background with multiple projects, I just think it's easier to give up on all of them, you know? And then the other thing to think about, like, just, uh, okay, sorry if I'm giving, like, unsolicited advice or no, anything. Like, no, that's what I you're here for. Unsolicited advice. <laughs> okay. Then, um, <laughs> you know, how much could you, so spitballing, how much could yeah. you raise to make a movie? Like, if you pulled everything, all your resources, anything together, in fact, anybody, how much do you think you could reasonably pull together for a feature that you'd be willing, okay. and then put in your own money, how much you'd be willing to spend? How, what kind of figure would you come up with? Maybe half a million dollars. Okay. Wow. Could you make a half a million dollar movie? Uh, could I? Because if you say that you could and you start, and you start going saying you have a half a million dollars, next thing right. you know, you get a star. Next thing you know, you get another, you get some more money. Next thing, because mm-hmm. what happened with us is we thought we were making a $35,000 movie with Age of Reason. It ballooned into right. 200000 because mm-hmm. we said, this is what we're doing. People joined on. They were willing to put five, ten thousand. 10000 had a few people, and then we got a name attached. Someone said, if you get this, if you get Tom Sizemore in it, I'll give you X amount of dollars. So we did that. And then people okay. want to put in more because they see how good they, th- you know, how good it is, and it starts to snowball. But if you can say, I'm making a half million dollar movie, and you go and you get like a great name, you can double that. Right. That makes sense. Yeah, I'm just impressed you can raise <laughs> half a million dollars, man. Whew, that's awesome. I'm just <laughs> spitballing in the top, in the back of my head. It's like, can I convince, yeah, like, who do I know with wow. money? Do I know enough people that I could convince to like give 10000 25,000. I'm sure I could break Man, it down. You've got some good connections. Easily. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Whether or not I can actually convince them to give me the money is a different thing, but I think I know enough people that I could probably raise that amount. If I I'd have to work my ass off, but I think I could do it. Yeah. Then yeah, that's what I would kind of say. I didn't want to be a producer uh, though. Well, that sucks. I, I think you're going to have to yeah. be, right? I mean, it I have, well, that's what I've kind of come to the yeah. conclusion. It's like all these years I've just been thinking that somebody's going to whisk me away and like take me under their wing and make it happen for me. And now I'm, now I'm realizing it's a good thing that I became a producer in advertising because now I know how it all comes you're together. You're a producer. Yeah, no, totally. You're, you're a, producer a producer in advertising. I actually read that. That's, <laughs> that's, that's awesome. Yeah. 
I produce TV commercials, so I know how to bring put things together. The one thing I don't understand is the financial aspect, but I think I can figure that out pretty easily. Right. Well, and allow yourself to make mistakes, but you know what you're doing. Like you already have that mm-hmm. in your head, and so that's great. I um, our one of my uh, one of our producers was going to go in. He ended up not doing it. But the, okay, you know the movie Blue Ruin. Oh yeah, Jeremy yeah. Saul Saulner. Yeah, yeah, I know, I know the production company. It took him what, like ten years to raise money for that movie or something like well, that. Well, he mortgaged right? his house like twice. <laughs> like he went into massive debt and um. Actually, our producer was going to get involved, and then it didn't really work out. But I mean, he for his finishing funds, I think he like remortgaged his house and like maybe did something on Kickstarter, borrowed a bunch of money. Like that guy went into debt, and that and that I think that was his second movie. Yeah, but like he shot. Mm. I mean, he's a great DP. He shot this other movie that um, our producer Wally uh, was EP on. Uh, I guess I actually don't remember the name, but it was it was like just beautiful. But anyway, like. That's what he he had to do that, and that's what he decided to do. And I'm sure he's not a producer, but like it can be done, and you could probably do it without getting into debt. So it's like exciting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's so interesting because I yeah I guess in my head I built up. It's like you need to know the people with the money to to make a movie, and then you're like, oh wait, I do know people with money. It's just I don't know quote unquote investors. It's the dentist, doctor, lawyer. But I mean, thing, right? that, who's better to be your investor than those people? You know, I mean, like, because uh, I. But then I feel like an investor. I guess in my head, it's like, oh, but an investor knows the risks. But if I'm asking like my friends and family or coworkers or you know, companies that I work with, like, man, that's like a lot of pressure. All these people giving me money to like, right. make a movie. Like that's scary. That seems like scarier than like an investor who like kind of knows what what the risk is going into. Well, it. there's a couple benefits to that though. And the first thing, you know, I read uh, when I used to read film financing books, and they tell you to go to dentists mm-hmm. because dentists have a ton of money. They don't know what to do with it, and you want to find people who just want to be involved in movies. You don't need mm-hmm. investors who know what they're doing because they might try to get involved, and they might try to they might that's try true, to get right. messed with your distribution deal. So you want to try to find people like who are hands off, who have lots of disposable income, and it's not going to bankrupt them to put twenty five grand into a movie to get them close. Mm-hmm. You know, bring them on set, like have them meet the stars, have them stay in the same hotel, like give them the experience, and that's why they do it. They don't do it because they love movies. Even it's it's like for the experience of doing it. So, and if it's a lot of pressure, that's all the more reason to find that one great idea that's going to sustain you. Because then you know it's worth it. Well, let's talk about that sustainable idea. Unless Ulrich, do you have something? Ah, uh, it's the talk same about? old like, stuff I always talk about every week. Let's just let's just go into the <laughs> into the topic at this point. Unless Andrew has something he wants to talk about that's happening right now. No, I guess in the past week I, I've I, I don't know. I've just been <laughs> I actually don't know. I've just been really busy. <laughs> I, I'm trying to finish up a book of short stories that I'll have out next year and. I actually don't even know what the big idea for that is. I've just been writing just to write and I've um, that's been sort of like a developmental thing. So it's been taking up a lot of time. Yeah. Um, and um, is there something you're struggling with right now? Well, I'm always struggling, but um, yeah, no, I'm struggling. Talk to yeah. us. Tell us what your struggles, my struggles are. are. I like to hear. Well, struggles. my struggles have been for a while, like I said, to come up with a movie that's feasible that we can do, but but really to, to find a movie that the idea would sustain one idea that really feels cohesive and that's something I want to make. 
and it's very difficult. And part of the reason I've been branching out into all these other things is to just stay active because I don't want, I don't want to stop making movies and stop doing everything. So I got this documentary that, um, I'll be uh, kind of supervising the edit. It'll be, it'll be playing I guess next month at some festival. I, I don't, it's some art collective festival in, in Palo Alto. Um, and then I'm putting together like a horror supercut for this three night punk rock show on Halloween oh, cool. uh, over Halloween. That's fun. And um, just trying to like, but again, trying to find that one idea and then stick to that and see how it works in those projects. So it's been interesting. So let's talk about that a little bit more. Like, how do you start to think about this one idea that you're going to write about? Like, what, where, where does the kernel come from? Is it just something that happens to you in everyday life? Is it? Like, do you look for stories in newspapers? Like, how do you get your initial spark? Like, how, where does that come from for you? Well, that's sort of what, yeah, I mean, that's, that's a good question. I, I just try to fill myself up with as much creative stuff as I can. So I read, I try to read for at least an hour a day. I read all kinds of strange, strange books. Here's, here's one. I suggest everyone read The Best of John Collier for some very strange, uh, fiction from like the forties. <laughs> um, but I really just try to like get as cram as much in my head as I can at every free moment, whether it's on BART or after when I get off of work. Um, and then I keep, I just keep idea logs. So I just, whatever comes in my head, a phrase that I like, whatever, like I'll just put it down. And then when I need some, when I'm going to write a story, I just want to write, I just find something and I do like word association and I just write a story. And that's worked really well for me. Mm. For movies, it's a lot. It's a little bit different, but we just basically keep an ideas bank and different projects in different stages. So we have, you know, <laughs> ten treatments or and like a pitch book here that we can pit. We have ready to go. Like we could write tomorrow. We've got those. We've got, um, you know, we've got like a stoner comedy. We've got a, uh, a you know, like a direct to video horror movie we could write tomorrow. <laughs> We've got the young adult book. We've got a, or a movie. We've got the the kids movie, and we just try to keep things moving. Um, I don't really know where the kernel comes from, except I just try to stay open to ideas, and then pick something and just push it forward. And I hope that made sense somehow. Yeah, it does. And I mean, my question would be like, so you have these like ten ideas in this idea bank that you could like write treatment that you have treatments of that you could write scripts of. Is is your problem right now like trying to figure out which one of those treatments to turn into a full length script? Is that kind of one of your struggles? Well, we had been doing so much work on this adaptation. We had basically done four different movies from this book. Wow! Like highlighting different things. We basically wrote four different scripts over the course of time because we weren't happy. We weren't, we weren't getting that one idea what the story was about. And, and just to be quick, I mean, we thought it was a story. The plot is basically these two kids like fall in, it's really strange, but they fall in like platonic love. So they're like falling to best friend love. Okay. But it's not sexual. And they go to like break out his brother from a mental institution. It's a little strange, but that's basically the plot. And we had organized the movie around the plot about them like breaking out the brother and after like two reworkings of that, we realized that's not the story. The story is love. We need to like restructure the story around that one idea and have Breaking Out the Brother completely reinforce that idea. And once we did that, it kind of locked into place. We spent a lot of time on that. We spent a lot of time reworking this kid's movie. Um, 
it's really about time and it's really about defining our goals because do we want to dedicate time to a movie we want to make for 200000 or do we want to dedicate time to a movie we hope to sell? And it's very different and writing a script takes a year or more. So it just, it just takes time. So yes, finding that idea, knowing what we want to do with it. And then things come up, you know, producer says, we, we want to try to, you know, make this movie. Why don't you go put treatment together and we get sidetracked? Or, it's just about time for us at this point. Well, well, I have like a bunch of questions after that, basically. And like one of them is, so when you talk about like the one million idea, you're not necessarily even saying like the one million idea for a script. You're like saying the one main idea within a script, like what that one kernel is within the story that you're already telling. Is that, is that accurate? Both. Both. I know it sounds confusing. There's a great book. I'm going to just, uh, well, it's over here. It's called The Anatomy of Story. It's the one screenwriting oh, yeah. book I really like. I think I told you about you it. You did. I, I think I bought it. Oh, okay. I think it's by a guy named John Truby. Truby, yeah. I, I've never read I that I did one. buy it. I haven't read it yet. <laughs> Well, I really like that one. I own it, though. <laughs> yeah. No, that's good. That's good. It it actually, I mean, it's best if you read it slow and really get what it's saying. But w- what's your favorite movie? My favorite you, movie? Or, or like, well, just, just one. Uh, not your favorite. Just just one. That, or or Timothy. What, like, what movie do you guys love? Um, Ghostbusters. Okay. I was going to say Attack the Block, but uh, let's go with Ghostbusters. <laughs> Ghostbusters. I'm not sure I could really do that one. Um, I knew it. That's why I picked it, because it's a hard one. I mean, but essentially, that movie has... How about like Jurassic Park? Alien. <laughs> All right, Alien. That's a good one. <laughs> that's a good one, yeah. If you watch that movie, that movie's so well-structured, you'd never notice that, let's just say it has one idea and it sticks to it really well. It is about, well, it's a monster movie, right? Yeah. Um, I guess it's kind of like on the spot to give you what that one idea is. But at no point in that movie do I feel like anything unnecessary happens or do I feel like it's wrong. Right. Like Dan O'Bannon, I heard him talk once and he always talked about that too, about like there's one idea and you stick to it and you base everything else around it and I don't quite know what the the thing would be for Alien. I know it's there because I've broke that movie down into uh, structure many times with Jordan. But... um, in your movie, I feel like if, if you want to make some, if I want to make something really cohesive, then everybody should be acting out like what's the question this movie's asking, and essentially you're watching that question play out over the course of the movie, and when it's answered, the movie's over. Mm-hmm. And it's like a simple way of. And do you think it. it has to be answered in order for the movie to be over, or can it just be posed? No, it can be posed. I just mean that if you stray too far from it. Like if an alien, if the movie is will they, if the question, let's just say, is are they going to survive this, then and then they and then they survive it, you know, they, they get or they get off the the ship in the middle of the second act, and go back to Earth, you'd be like, what is this movie? Right. Whatever you set up, you know, you can't really break it. Although, of course, you can ignore these rules and do whatever you'd like. I'm just saying that um, th- this is just sort of the way I've been thinking about it over time, and it's different for everybody. I just want to make sure that what I'm writing is cohesive, and but done in a way that I've never seen before. And that's um, where Fever Night and the Age of Reason both came from. Mm, interesting. How do, how do you know that that idea, that initial kernel, is a good one? 
That I don't really know. That's an instinctual thing, right? For me, it is. For me, it's like, am I interested in this question? Is it like, not, not always question. As, that's how I've been thinking about it lately. The age of reason, the overall idea was to, this is very, very vague, but this is what we use, was to update the melodrama from the 1950s and to basically create a, a take what we loved about melodramas from the 50s and put it in a new setting and see if it worked. It was like very much an experiment. But that was the idea that I had that kind of like pulled everything through for me. So mm-hmm. whatever, whatever project I'm going to make, it needs to interest me enough. I don't know if it's good because I don't know what good really means, but it's got to like interest me enough. How about you, Ulrich? How do you know if an idea well, is good? Well, what I was thinking is like if, you know, after a year or a month or three months or six months or however long, if, if you still love it, that's how I know that it's a good idea. Like with the alternate that you actually both have read, um, I wrote that almost two years ago now, and I still think about it every day, and I still love the concept. So that's how I know like I still want to make that movie is because it's been so long. I should be sick of it, but I'm not. I'm still excited to like push it forward however I can. So, I mean, I don't know. Does that come come into play for you guys is longevity part of it like oh yeah i mean i i love the idea of ideas percolating in the background for like years and it's just there's something infectious about it that i just i can't get it out of my head and those are the ideas that i am the most excited about it's just they kind of grab hold of you and they refuse to let you move on with your life until you've shot them and shared them with the world right what about you andrew No, I totally agree. I think that's totally right on. So have you ever started pursuing an idea and along the way you started losing interest in it? Oh, yeah. Yeah. And what do you do? How do you get your enthusiasm back? Well, I usually, if I find out that it's not working or that my premise was wrong, usually what happens is I find out my premise is wrong and and then I lose enthusiasm and either I try to fix it if it can work with what excites me most about it. But if it doesn't work, I just move on to something else. What do you mean when you say your premise is wrong? So uh, to give a current example, I'm not like trying to rag on, on Jordan. I'm just using this as an example. <laughs> okay. My partner, he had this idea for a like a, a fun like comedy um, where a guy wants to break up his his best friend's wedding. Oh, and oh, he's breaking up the wedding because the 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 girlfriend is a witch. Okay? <laughs> so it's like a ridiculous. It's like a ridiculous fun comedy where he's like. He's, he's always getting tr- – like his best friend is like growing up without him basically and he's getting married. But the, his best friend finds out – or, you know, he finds out that his best friend's fiance is a witch. And so he tries to break up the wedding. But when you really dig into it, there's actually two ideas in there. There's finding out there's a witch and, there's, and he's trying to break up the wedding. Mm-hmm. And we're finding a lot of problems in unpa- unpacking that premise and making that into a movie that makes cohesive sense – because what are the, what is the fun and games of that movie? Is the fun and games finding out that she's a witch? But then what would the first act break be? Like what what would actually launch that? A or is it B trying to break up the friend's wedding? In which case we have to set up the whole witch thing in the first act. And is that how does that unpack the rest of the movie? Well, and maintain interest. Well, to me, it's like the simple way to do it would be for the first act. It's like. The friend doesn't like the the girlfriend, the fiance, and he doesn't know why. He starts to snoop, 
end of the first act is he finds out she's a witch and then the rest of the movie is him trying to convince his friend not to marry this woman that he only knows is a witch and he has no proof to back it up. Right. And that that would be one way. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, but that's also almost like the too much of the stereotypical Hollywood way. Almost, you know, or like an episode of Friends or something, you know. Hey, I like Friends. <laughs> so does my, yeah. Well, I mean, I do too. Friends is cool. Yeah, Friends is good. I shouldn't, I shouldn't diss Friends. No, I know what you're no, saying. No, I, I see, I see what you're saying. It's, and then it's about, okay, well, how do we do this differently, right? Because we don't want to do it in necessarily a typical Hollywood way. So we have to find a way to make it different. And there's just a lot to unpack in that. So if we're going to do it, it spends, you know, it takes a lot of time to figure out, okay, how can we make it different? Does it affect the premise? Does it affect anything else? And like, can we structure a movie around this idea or is our premise wrong? Like, is that not actually what, what's so fun about this, about this movie? Is there a different movie in there that we actually really like, but we think we like this other thing? Mm-hmm. It's a little weird how I'm explaining it, but I've been in that situation many times where really the thing that I love about the idea isn't what I think the idea is something other than what I'm planning around. Yeah. Well, Ulrich in on his script, The Alternate, I asked him at one point to write me down like what he was, what the story was that he's trying to tell me. I mean, very much like Save the Cat style. It's like, what's your log line? Like if your script should be your log line. And so after he wrote it down, I felt like he wasn't really delivering on what he was set out to do. And so we went back through it and and tightened up his script based off of what he was trying to do with it. And I think he had gotten a little off uh, of uh, what his original intention was because, yeah, I think as you're starting to get into the process, you kind of lose your way a little bit and you have to refine it. Yeah. And Andrew kind of said the same thing. Uh, when he read the, the one of the drafts of the alternate, he was like, you know, what would your trailer be? And that was like a big, that was like the big turning point for me to start thinking about like, what is this movie really about? And then after all that, I would pitch the idea to people and they'd love the, the premise. And then I would have them read the script and then they, I would just <laughs> never hear from them again. And yeah. I think it's because the, the script wasn't delivering on the premise, you know? Totally. Yep, exactly. So I'm so, working yeah. on that now. <laughs> but I still love it. I love it so much, guys. I'm going to make it. I don't care. Well, I think you you have you have the skeleton there to make it work, but I think what Andrew's talking about is sometimes your skeleton is, is kind of like counter to what your what the premise in your head really is, and so you have to kind of rethink the whole thing. And and then at some points it just all kind of falls apart. I've had this problem too. It's like it all falls apart and you can't you can't pick up the pieces and make it the same anymore. I mean, it, that the thread through line that brought you through in that process to begin with is gone. Yeah. It's such a scary idea to like, think that your premise that you, your love so much <laughs> is, is wrong. It's such a, oh, it's, it's so scary to me and <laughs> frightening to hear that. Oh, my premise is wrong. How is it wrong? Oh no. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It is scary. So, This is a good question for you, Andrew, since you've been now through two feature films. I've I've heard somebody say it's like climbing Mount Everest each time you make a movie and it just takes everything out of you. So how do you pump yourself up to to make another movie? I mean, that's sort of, again, like um, a problem that I've had or like a challenge the past because I don't know what to make. And again, without an idea that really interests me, it's too hard to, for me to get through it. I have to know why. For me, I have to know why I'm making a movie. It's more important than like what the movie even is 
to a certain extent. Like I need to know how I'm like contribute. It, it sounds weird, but like for me personally, I need to know like how I'm contributing to movies. Like how is this movie, regardless of what it's about, how is it going to like be different? Yeah. Or, we, we say like, where does it fit in the world? Yeah. Right. Exactly. And, um, if I have that, and I'm convinced of that, then then it's worth climbing the mountain for. But if I'm not convinced of that, uh, if I don't have it, it, it's it's just it's just very hard. I think it just takes time, right? You have to take a breather and step away from it, and then, like we said earlier in the show, like for me, I just have to delude myself that the next project is going to be the one that digs me out of this hole of failure that I've, <laughs> I've dug myself into. Hole of failure. <laughs> hole oh of failure. Yeah, God. I'm always pretty pretty convinced that every <laughs> pursuit that I've made in filmmaking is just a giant failure, and then I have to like talk myself out of that, be like. Yeah, you failed on that one, but dude, the next one is going to be great. <laughs> yeah, but I I totally understand what you're saying. I do that. I've done that many times, but you're not a failure. I I've I really thought that the Age of Reason uh back like a year and a half ago before we started the festival thing, I was like Jordan and I were convinced we're like we really screwed up. Like oh, we yeah. we we were like <laughs> so depressed. I was like crying one day just like oh god i wasted my life i'm never gonna make another movie again wow yeah and this movie sucks and and then and i was supposed to get down to la to see the final sound mix and to just kind of supervise the final sound mix with jordan in the in the studio and um and i was like you know i'm just gonna go down i'm gonna make the best of it you know you can't think you're never gonna make a movie again you're just gonna get through this i was so upset (laughs) And then we went in and we saw like the the third and fourth the f- third reel of the movie with the sound done and I was like yeah this is pretty good this is okay but the first reel the first reel sucks like th- that <laughs> like we totally screwed up the beginning oh, of this movie no. it's just awful and like we'll see and then the next day we watched the fourth reel and I was like oh this is that was pretty good you know that was cool but the first reel you know that's gonna screw us up and we totally made a bad movie and the next day he's like all right we got the we got the first two reels ready to watch. And we watched them both, and I was like, this movie's awesome. We didn't even realize we watched two reels. We thought we just watched the first <laughs> one. And, and I was like, okay, this is, this is pretty good. And, and we've actually had a pretty decent festival run. And now I watch it, and I'm like, no, we actually did the idea that we set out to do, and we did it pretty well. And, what do you but think I was changed convinced. between the first time you saw it and that last time you saw it? Well, the sound was done. That's such a great feeling to like be in that hole and then come out of it like feeling like, no, actually there it is. It is there, you know, maybe it's not a hundred percent what the vision was, but the it's there, you know, so that's, that's a really good feeling. Yeah, that's true. I, I've, I mean, that whole story you just told, I completely relate to. I've been in that position so many times, but still even when I'm on the other side, looking back, I still see all the mistakes that I made and all the the things that I would do differently. And it's like, it's a constant quest of perfection for me. Like I won't be happy until it's perfect, which also means I will never be happy. Yeah. It's never going to be perfect. You're always going to be learning from your mistakes. You know, you're always going to look back at it and be like, Oh, I wish I could have done this differently or that differently. Yeah, but that feeds into my delusion because then because <laughs> I have to delude myself into thinking I can do it perfectly. Oh, that's funny. <laughs> oh man! Hey, whatever gets you there is is good. <laughs> I don't think there's anything wrong with thinking like that. But 
You just don't want it to stunt you from doing anything. Right. Oh, it doesn't stop me, that's for sure. Yeah, then it's cool. Yeah. It just, it just keeps me in a constant state of depression. <laughs> <laughs> I, I've been there. Yeah. I've been there. I definitely, it goes in waves for me. It's like, you know, with Strange Thing, I was kind of that way the whole, like I was sort of depressed from the whole time it was after I shot, I was just like convinced I had screwed up everything. And then as I went through post-production, I felt the same way. And then it wasn't till the festival circuit that I actually started to feel better about it. And then with brother, I thought I shot the movie I wanted to. And I was like really excited. Like, Oh, this feels, I feel too good. Oh man. And then as through editing, I just went down and down and down a slope of feeling worse and worse about it. And now I feel like, I, a couple weeks ago, I felt really, really bad about it. And then, like, a stranger saw the latest cut and, like, gave me all this nice, wonderful compliment and feedback and stuff. And, like, he's another filmmaker who's, like, you know, done other projects. And so, it just really lifted my spirits. And now I'm just like, okay, well, people are going to love it or hate it, whatever. Just got to shoot it out into the world, you know? Um, yeah. yeah. You always find people that like it. And that that's what keeps you going. Yeah, Absolutely. Um, I feel like I have so many more questions for you, Andrew, but I know that we're sort of out of time here. Um, is there anything like else you want to add or last statements? No, I just want to hear more about what you guys are working on. To be honest, I want I know that you're finishing up Brother. Yeah. Which is awesome. And is that is that going to festival? Have you have you started submitting it to festivals? Yeah, I have started submitting it to festivals. I got rejected from 9 so far. But uh, to be fair to myself, it was a you know an unfinished cut for all of those. Like mm. there was no finished visual effects and uh, no finished sound and no uh, finished color correction. So I kind of feel like it's a harder sell without those things. Um, but like I'm just starting. Like I'm gonna be. It's gonna be completely finished in the next two weeks, and then I'll start submitting it to uh, to other film festivals uh, with a finished cut. And uh, I'm really aiming at you know. Uh, the spring festivals like South by Southwest and um, Tribeca. And there's one uh, called the Atlanta film festival and um, a few others that I'm sort of looking at and then slam dance too. Oh, and Cinequest. Those are the ones I'm really aiming at. And if I don't get into any of those, I'm just going to do an online release by myself without the film festival. Cause I, I don't want to wait till June or, or next fall to release the movie. Like it, it's got to go up in the spring, you know, it just has to. So that's sort of where I'm at with it right now. Cool. Yeah. Cinequest would be cool to get, to go to, I think. Oh, Absolutely. Timothy's already been. He's an yeah, alumni. Yeah, my, uh, my film, Man's Best Friend, played there in 2010, and it was so much fun. That's one of my favorite film festivals. That's cool. So, you, And you've got uh, Over My Dead Body, right? I saw... Yeah, you should come check first... it out. It's going to be in San Jose on Saturday, October 24th, if you have time. Oh, okay. Come hang cool. out. I, come um, watch it with us. Well, it's my anniversary. Uh-oh. Oh, good. Bring your wife. <laughs> yeah it's... yeah, and then we're gonna release it online just two days later yeah which is really exciting I, I, I'm actually really excited to start helping with that promotion because you know I think trying to get it out there and, and get the views racked up that's one of the, the more fun parts of it for me I mean fun and terrifying at the same time <laughs> because it's just it's just nerve wracking like you know like looking at that counter it's not going up and then oh you get a bunch of emails from vimeo and then oh god then you look at it and it's like oh it just it's a roller coaster but uh, it'll yeah. be fun though yeah what was what was the budget on that if you don't you guys tell me what the budget is over my sure dead body yeah yeah 
It's like three thousand dollars. Yeah. Oh, yeah. See, you guys can make a feature. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. That 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 looks odd. That's like that's. Yeah, all right. That's do awesome. you think that you could talk a crew to work for those rates for like twenty days? Yeah, but not the crew I'd want to work with. But I mean, no offense to anybody who would work for that. Um, I mean, I could. I, I mean, I shouldn't say that. That's that's a rude thing to say because I, I just worked on a feature uh, where I was a script supervisor and that was kind of like what everybody was getting on that, like really low rates. And, you know, they were great. And uh, it, that's going to be a really cool movie. So I, I think I could do it. Do you want to um, produce my $100,000 feature? Pff, yes. I haven't written it. Or raise the money, but... <laughs> Once you get the budget together, man, call me up. I'll do it. <laughs> All right, I, cool. I need the experience. <laughs> I need the experience, too. Right. It's perfect. Yeah. Well, thanks, Andrew. I think you just facilitated uh, a movie deal right there. Yeah. Hey, glad I could be of some help. <laughs> yeah, man. No, it's been great to have you on. And I, I mean, I want to do a whole another episode at another point, just talking about what it's like to work with a co-director and a co-writer, because I've never done that before. And I feel like that's a very interesting and fascinating subject. Um, but obviously for another podcast at another, another time, you know. Well, I'd, I'd love to. And uh, thanks for having me. It's, it's been fun. It's just fun to like chat. Yeah. Yeah, That's, does it feel like uh, a conversation you would have with your filmmaking buddies just hanging out, drinking beers? Yeah, I, except I feel like I'm talking too much. Oh, no, that's that. the whole reason we have you on is because we want to hear your point of view. We, I mean, our point of view is every week. Everyone's sick of hearing yeah, from us. they're tired of it. We always say, like, I don't know. We don't know what we're talking about. So at least we have somebody on the podcast now that has two feature films done. Makes you sound like a much more credible than... Alric and I. Yeah. That's for sure. Well, you guys know what you're doing, though. Oh, thanks. <laughs> yeah, thanks, man. I don't feel like I know what I'm doing. <laughs> I well, st- never feel like it. I still feel like no matter how many times I hear people like telling me like, oh, you know, you got to be realistic. Like, you're not going to be able to sell your movie. You're not going to get an agent because of these, these, this and that reason. I still like have this vision of my head of what it's going to be like after I make my first feature. And uh, what is that? I don't know, like, oh, yeah, it's gonna, like, it's gonna take the world by storm, like, people are gonna be talking about it, it's gonna get into Toronto, uh, TIFF, Toronto International Film Festival, and then suddenly I'll be on the red carpet, and then I'm gonna be getting phone calls from this and that agent, and everything's gonna explode, and uh, I just think that that's in my head, and I don't think I can get rid of it, even though I know that's not realistic. I can't get rid of that either, but that that leads to the last question I want to ask, Andrew. Does that feeling fade over time as you you finished more and more movies? I felt that very strongly with the first movie. With the second movie, I I don't, can't, haven't, I felt like that too, which hasn't been disproven yet, because the movie hasn't been released but um, it does fade. But I, I have to say that it's I'm in like a much better place now with that because I don't like I, I only care as much as uh, it takes to like get another movie made. And I know that like my whole goal at the age of reason really was to make a movie after it. And I've definitely put myself in a place. We've definitely gotten in a place where we're going to make another movie. And for me, I know, I mean, it sounds kind of cheesy, but like now, if I can make another movie, then I feel like I've won. Then I've like, I've made it because there's nothing more fun than making a movie and just to be able to do it and to support myself 
during that time of production, however long I can, is like very special. And I know that sounds very cheesy, but it's like totally true. So I think I just have more of like, I don't have, I've let go of the results of what's going to happen. And I just want to do it because I want to do it. And it's the same goes for writing this book or with copywriting or anything else artistic or creative now. It's, I just want to do it. And the results aren't really up to me in the end. I'm still going to fight for it. I'm still going to act like it's going to be the next big movie, but I'm not married. If it doesn't happen, it's not going to destroy me like, you know, I thought it would. (laughs) Man, that's beautiful. That's a great ending. Yeah, that is so well put, Andrew. Thank you for that. Yeah, thanks again for coming on. Like this this has been like a great learning experience for me. Yeah, me too. And that's, I mean, I felt this way about other conversations I've had with you in the past. It's just like, it's sort of a grounding experience to hear it for somebody who has the experience that I don't have. And then to get that sort of opinion and feedback, I, I just think it's extremely valuable. So I'm glad that we could share that with uh, everybody else too. Yeah, thanks. Let's just uh, do me a favor and let's hang out. Yeah. All three of us. Absolutely. Yeah. All right, everyone. Thanks for listening. Help other people find us. Leave a review on iTunes or Stitcher. You can follow us on Twitter at MMIH Podcast. Uh, my handle is at Timothy Plain. Auric, where can we find you? At Ulrich B on Twitter. And we also have a Facebook page, too. <laughs> and then, Andrew, where can we find you if people want to reach out? Well, I prefer people reach me directly. So you can find me on Facebook, I'm Andrew Schrader, or you can just email me at andrewjacobschrader at gmail.com. That's a mouthful, but andrewjacobschrader at gmail.com. Just, I, I like that more. We'll leave it in the show notes. Awesome. Um, and then the last thing is, you know, send us your questions and thoughts on this episode or any of our episodes, because we want to hear from you guys. Do you agree with what we're saying, or you just want to share your experience? You know, send it to us and we'll share it with everyone on the show. I mean, that's what this whole thing's built with, different perspectives and point of view. So send us your stuff. Um, thanks again for listening. And Ulrich, good job. Andrew, awesome job. Uh, that was a good episode. I'd yeah. Say. Thank you, guys. Thank you, Timothy. Thank you, Andrew. It was a, it was a blast, man. It's really fun. Yeah, definitely. Super fun. Anytime. It was cool.